0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Fellowship Phase. I'm Josh and that's Callum, and we're going to give you inside information on making your own way through Tolkien's world.
1: On this week's episode of The Fellowship Phase, we're talking about Moria Through the Doors of Durin, and Moria, Shadow of khazad the epic campaign expansion for Free League's The One Ring role-playing game, and 5th edition The Lord of the Rings role-playing game, respectively.
0: We're joined by lead writer Gareth Hanrahan who's previously worked on the One Ring RPG as well as Conan, the role-playing game and Thirteenth Age and has won any awards for his work on Cubicle 7's The Laundry RPG and Pelgrim Press's Lorefinder Gumshoe, Pathfinder, Mash
1: For long ages the great city of the Dwaradolf was a seat of dwarven kings, and they were rich beyond measure in gold and mithril. But a thousand years ago, Durin's bane arose and drove the dwarves from their halls. The city fell into darkness, becoming an abode of orcs, goblins, and worse. Countless orcs perished in the battle of the Five Armies, Maybe the halls of Durin lie empty once more. Maybe there are piles of treasure there, waiting to be claimed. Maybe Mithril still glimmers in the mines under Caradhras. Cross the dread threshold, adventurer, and delve deep.
0: Good afternoon, Callum.
1: Good afternoon, Gareth. Hello and good afternoon.
0: Uh, we are with uh, Gareth Hanrahan today, has joined us to talk about the Kickstarter for Through Duran's Door. Uh, we thought it was a great opportunity to talk about game design with the person who does it himself. So, Gareth, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Now, the Kickstarter has been a huge success. It didn't take a great deal of time to uh, hit its target and also stretch goals. You you must be delighted with with the feedback you've had so far delighted
2: slightly intimidated just like you, know, you, <laughs> you, you you look at the numbers and it, it, you're you're fine because they're in like swedish krona you're going yeah that's silly money i can't make any sense or they can the convert button and it says like a million whatever literally a million euro and you're going oh dear christ um so yeah very very gratifying also very terrifying <laughs>
0: Well, that's a good bit of context. We could talk a bit yeah. about how we went from the idea to a million euros worth of yeah. uh, investment and people wanting to buy the game. So,
2: No, no pressure.
0: <laughs> could you talk, <laughs> what can players expect? Like, Maybe we should start there. What can kind of players expect from, you know, people have, have uh, backed it, they're going to be getting the books at some point. What are people going to see in the books?
2: Um. Well, it is a guide to Moria in the waiting years of the Third Age. Um, it's sort of structurally, it's got a bunch of patrons, and adventure hooks, a reason the players might want to go into Moria. It's got rules for exploring Moria. It's got various entities and factions you'll encounter in there, and then a wide swathe of landmarks of locations within the city. Um it's set in like 2965, so basically before Battle's Expedition, which is sort of, uh standard time frame for uh the one edition and the of to Middle Earth. Um and yeah, basically it is a large toolkit. You can uh either use Maria as a like you know, a one shot adventure, which, you, which character is passing through it for some reason or going one earned in, or you can, there are like frameworks there where you're doing a all attempts to retake it or searching for some particular lost treasure in there. And yeah, it will be lavishly illustrated, and there is a
1: fantastic map which is being hand-inked at the moment. Um,
0: that is fantastic. We love the maps.
1: The map looks incredible, and as an owner of the maps, have already been produced for the One Ring Second Edition. I'm just very excited to unfold them.
2: Yeah, Um. the, sort of the approach we take for the map is that it is... Like it, it, it's a map that's been drawn by dwarves, the Blue Mountains after the fall of Moria. So it's basically based on their like records and memories, trying to reconstruct it. So it may not be entirely reliable. Locations marked on it may have like you know been destroyed or overrun or like, um, like you know, are inaccessible. So basically, just because location is on the map doesn't mean it exists. And some of the locations that are in the book that aren't on the map that people who
1: made the map didn't know about for various reasons. Oh, that is great. Right. That's brilliant. I, mm-hmm. I really like that idea. As a lore master has really given me ideas of ways to um, trick and uh, confuse. I mean, um, in... what?
0: <laughs> Inspire, not trick. Inspire, Inspire right? is what you're supposed to be doing. When, when you're working with a map like this, uh, we've spoken before about like when we're designing encounters, sometimes mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see a map and then mm-hmm. work from the map to do the encounter. For the book, was the map a starting point, or was the map constructed once you'd you'd worked through those those landmarks?
2: The map came after landmarks. Basically, I did up a list of landmarks, and like I passed on to Francesco the map uh, the map person. Two Francescos working on it, which makes things more confusing at times. But yeah, basically, I basically I had a rough idea of basically. Maria is divided into basically districts. Basically, you've got old Moria over the oldest parts of it over near um the Dimmel, uh, the young Gates. And then you've got basically the actual city, doom areas above, below that, the road, uh, road west, Western Maria mines, and I you roughly where yeah, locked the doors to my children, um, uh, where the various locations were relative to each other. And then I said, like, here's a very, very rough idea of how it all big, well, I was all laid out in my head. Now make it make sense on a map and. After many, many iterations and back and forth, you get the wonderful way of visualizing this, like you know, insanely complicated three D space as a two as D medieval map.
0: Use the word toolkit when you were describing it. Interested? Is it very much that a kind of sort of sandbox toolkit? Give it to the players. Is there much of a narrative that you've woven through, or or is it a more sort of pick and mix of what the players can use from the book?
2: There are three or four sort of main narrative spines in it so we see it's nothing you know, here's here like the, the Moria campaign you must play like here you know, here are is to make to Moria here are quests they can get involved with inside Moria here are basically like if you are looking for treasure there are a couple of locations which are specifically aimed at like you know, here like your know, fabled treasure vaults, for dwarves stuff on the way um, if you are this dwarf is trying to reclaim Moria here like you know, like you know, place of vast cultural significance, you go after. If you were looking for the lost ring lore of Aragon, there are locations in there. And as you explore those ones, there are like, clues pointing to other locations which mightn't be on the map or mightn't be, have been heard of that you can go and investigate. investigate. Um, and then there are other plots which kick in as you explore it, uh, because there are factions of orcs and so forth in there who will respond to you guys swimming up and poking around the deeper you get. But there's no so like you know, there's no like you know scene by scene breakdown adventures. It's very much sort of pick the reason you go in there. You explore these locations, and those locations will point to more locations as you as you dig deeper. And then you just like you yeah, don't dig too deep, or you know
0: <laughs> the obvious <laughs> the obvious occurs. <laughs> and was that that idea of being led from one thing to another, but not really a linear plot? Kind of how that was that the intention from the beginning, or is that because a place like Maria <laughs> lends itself to a more of a labyrinth style of game? It was pretty much intention from the beginning. Um I mean, the, the, the,
2: the original pitch Maria, which was Google seven version back in the day, was you're playing Balance Expedition. And that was a bit more linear until you got there, and then so it was it was always going I mean, Maria is so huge. I like you, you couldn't you can't Map the whole thing. You can't go into detail because it's basically like a, a city, and yeah, it's like twenty miles across from end to end. You can't map it every corner. So it's always going to be like, Yo, here are the points of interest within it, and here it's like randomly generated um, corridors and chambers between them. And you, was always going to be like more of a sort of wilderness exploration than a classic dungeon crawl. So, it, it, in every iteration, it's, it's been here are landmarks, here are points of interest. You explore until you get to them, and then stuff happens there um just the uh free league conversion will actually actually exists, is isn't tied to validation it's more like you know why are your players going in there here are tools and plots uh, that will uh interest them
1: can i ask given the yeah. success of the kickstarter and presumably that there was there's maybe some stuff and content around balance exhibition is there would you think there would be any opportunity to to release, like, a, an extra supplement about Balan's Expedition. <laughs> or if that's, I'm just asking because I really want to run it. <laughs> well, wait,
2: there, there's, there's, there's an appendix in there which, which basically covers ba- Balan's
1: Expedition. Oh, right, and okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, that's all in there. It's done as as detailed as it was in the, the original version or, or, or the first iteration of the project. Um, the other thing, of course, is because... The original one was sort of a follow-on to the Darkening of Merkwood, which was the big campaign for first edition. In that, that brought the timeline up to the 2080s. So they, they led right like that. Darkening Merkwood ends five years before balance sets off, pretty much. So like, ah, that's perfect. Whereas now, because we roll the timeline back in second edition, small bit, it makes more sense to be be more general and not put balancing thing as the so the, the first and foremost. Thing, it's more like you you are individual groups of adventurers poking around and you might be like you're know, laying the groundwork for the eventual expedition, because um, one of the gimmicks we're taking is that back 200 years to the Battle of um, as a little bizarre the Battle of Dale where the Royal or- or- orcs fight, King Dane as a young stripling, uh, kills Azog, looks beyond the gate, goes ah, something terrible is in there and when he's King of the Dwarves, he'll say okay, I know this thing terrible waiting in Maria we shouldn't go to Maria so the dwarves of uh, Durin's line, who are like t- supposed to be like you're know, obeying King Balance's law or King uh, Dane's laws, aren't supposed to go to Maria yet. This was hold off because e- e- even in the book it says like you'd uh, balance eventually persuade Dane to let them go. So, there's all before that when Dane is saying, No, you can't go to Maria, but the other dwarves are going, We're, we're, we're not Durin's line, we, we we can pop in. And <laughs> and non dwarves are also going, Well, like lots of, lots, lots of orcs just died in the battle of. Five armies. We could stick our heads in. So we see, between the period where more people are sort of like, you know, going hmm, let's take a peek in there, into that like, you know, table death trap.
0: Let's see what's what's down there. With that in mind then, the, the obvious character choices would be would be dwarves to go in. In your head, are you imagining that all different cultures might be there or could visit? Are there, are there hooks that might lead... The
2: hobbits. I mean, hobbits are always kind of hard because, you know, <laughs> they, they're, they're a hobbit. They, 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 they don't go off adventuring unless they're like, you know, poked out of the hole by a wizard.
0: Um, <laughs>
2: I mean, Moria obviously has huge residents for dwarves. It's basically their holy city, they're like the they halls of their ancestors and so forth. So if you're playing a dwarf, you are going to get more spotlight time and more moments where you go, ah, this is the place of legend that I've, like, you know, stuck off since I was a a, a wee beardless dwarf. Um, but I mean, there are plotline or adventure books in there and patrons in there who are not dwarves, who will be, have reasons to send you into Moria for one thing or another. Um, so it, 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 it certainly is a sort of the benefits hugely from having a dwar- uh, one or more dwarves hanging around, but they're not required. And there are reasons for other people to, to stress that in and there are no, spoilery, so I won't.
0: <laughs> we're very open to spoilers if you'd like to, but I know that yeah, some uh... things have to be kept under lock and key.
2: <laughs> you might be open to spoilers, I may accidentally let spoilers slip, but uh, corporate masters <laughs> are, le- are less forgiving of spoilers. He says from experience.
0: Something you touched on, and which maybe isn't a spoiler, but uh, many were told not to delve too deep into Moria. We've spoken mm-hmm. before about Durin's Bane, the Balrog, and how on earth that could be run as an encounter, whether it would be a monster or something more complicated than that. Is that something that players might might see and be able to interact with?
2: Uh, yes. Um, I, I, I did not draft stats for Durin's Bane, um, which Francesco may accept or reject or rewrite, knowing him. Um it is like you know a ridiculously powerful monster, as it Yeah. There's also there's also a sidebar on altered versions of Durin's Bane, basically. Because if you want to be able to surprise your players and bend cannon a bit, there's like you know, here are like you know, four or five other things Durin's Bane might have been. Um, you want to surprise your players, I mean, even Tolkien sort of went back and forth. Um, yeah, that's cool. In the, as in the history of Midlands books are fantastic reading for Loremaster if you want, basically, alternate. Looks how, how Tolkien wrote it because in, in some of his drafts it was a giant troll. Um, in one draft was a Azgol, and then later on he was very very close to going back and changing it all to make it Saruman. Um But in the end he stuck with the Balrog. Um, but yeah, there's a chapter in, or a sidebar in there on other possible uh, ways to, 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 to do Durin's Spain But if you go with classic Balrog, classic Balrog is in there. There are there's a version of the um, eye awareness rules for for the Balrog. So as, as you delve deeper, the chances of running to a Balrog, grow and grow and grow. Or if you're feeling very, very ambitious, you can just like yo keep going downstairs until you get to the bottom <laughs> and he's there.
1: I love the idea of running the Balrog expedition. Like, we have been talking about doing some like mini adventures in the Grey Mountains and other things with dwarves and then gathering all these like player characters, taking them to Moria, and then I just get to um, like a sort of doomed campaign sort of oh, yeah. turn up the ball, and I think that would be quite a lot of fun for me. Hopefully it'd be fun <laughs> for the players as well. So I'm really excited to see what, what's in store for us. You mentioned that the history of Middle-earth. So in terms of like sources of of what both lore but also inspiration for things that are outside of the, the lore what, what were the, the sort of main things that you look to and or where did you find find ideas or and what was your sort of process for for writing something like this where it's you're somewhat constrained by what exists but also there's a lot of freedom to, to come up with new ideas
2: um what are the main sources and we, 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 we i went through the history of those books in detail um every possible reference to Dwarven cities and vassals around chambers and so forth. There's John Garth's, it's called uh, The World's J.R.R. Tolkien, which is. There, I know it's a podcast, it's, it's on YouTube, so visual references are kind of useless, but I can uh, walk over and grab John Garth's book, which is basically he's gone through all the places that Tolkien visited in his life and tried to basically work out what inspired what. Pod, so there's a whole section on like, the various mountains in France or in Switzerland, which Tolkien about a sort of walking tour when he was very, very young. And they are basically, he's basically, you know, map through one to one those mountains in Switzerland to um, Summertime, Cloudy Head, and uh, Redhorn. And basically, you, you can sort of like, you know, then bring those up on Google Maps, go, aha, right, okay. That's what inspired Tolkien. So now I can get an idea of the geography, of the scale of these things. Um, well, I spent a lot of time looking at um, what's called Cappadocia as well, the city there, and the sort of poking and trying to how how Maria could have actually worked um, in terms of like you know. Uh, now we're now back to HEPA filters and airflow, <laughs> <laughs> and then the other the other big thing was trying to up with basically interesting. Locate, location and monuments and landmarks inside the city that would still be interesting a thousand years later, which was a lot of like looking at, um, like Roman ruins and so forth, just sort of like get that feeling of this once epic structure that's now fumbling down. What does what, what the feel you put you on there? What, what's left of it? What's still recognizable? Um,
1: and that was helped a lot by in fact, the fact all the underground so, you know, weathering is not an issue. Can I ask a slight follow-on? So you sure. talked about the the landmarks and it's almost like yeah. like Lazy DM guide is something that we're both a big fan of in terms of like having those like big, impactful places. Mm-hmm. A lot of our fun and adventures in Adventures Middle-earth has been is been the journey and the journey events and how do we manage that and that sort of resource management thing. How do you how do you handle travel within Moria? Does that use the same same rule system or does it do something different? So I haven't, because, because the management for in
2: development. St- uh, what I what I say here may get may get changed. I'll, I'll push in a caveat that like my <laughs> the first draft rules will be like you know gone over and tweaked and maybe like change and scrap. Yeah. But the concepts generally survive. That's what working for Chesco taught me. So yeah, basically There are the rules for underground exploration are based on the the sort of standard Journey rules, but they're a bit more punishing. There's more of an emphasis on delays, getting lost, on exploring. Um, and there are lots, and lots of encounter tables and uh, eye events and so forth to make basically the journey from A to B through random corridors and chambers, and like you know, not not like giant impressive places, but like you know, just like you know, going through the the, the corridors, pathways of Patchways at Maria, interesting and challenging. Um, and a lot of the folks theres the players like decision, like you know, do we do we turn back to keep going? Which of us takes the blow in terms of like resources being lost or having misfortune strike us? And there's a lot of advice in there about how to present Maria and like how to get the mood right in terms of like you know what, what you're going for? are you going for like you know, if you if you've got a bunch of dwarves then you want to basically be emphasizing, the, you know, the lost grandeur of the place and you want to be talking about the, the, the architecture and the like, you know, the meaning of it all if you're part of mostly humans you want it to be all about the ah we're going in the dark and we're far underground that's scary and there are orcs everywhere mm-hmm. so yeah um, there's a lot of stuff on mood and presentation and like you know events the can drop in to sort of, to, to sort of spice up a uh, journey and exploration
1: i'm i'm very excited for that i um ran a a game in gundabad where they they were having to rescue a, a prisoner and I, I, get, I imagine there's some parallels but a lot of big differences and mm-hmm. what we we found was it was well i found it difficult balancing that sort of you know the players wanting to know exactly where they're going and and sort of that making it like really clear that they've got agency with kind of getting from a to b so we use a lot of like mm-hmm. random tables and Event rules and um, mazes and stuff like that. So I think that was that, that worked quite well. So I'm really excited to see how how you present that in the book and what we can use that sort of um, traveling.
2: Yeah, I mean for, like... for traveling, a lot of the players um, are if you want for me to be, especially especially overland, you've got sort of a, a fairly set route. You'll be you'll be county Hexas. So the players, you're right, don't have much choices. So a lot of the challenge is to move up with events and encounters that will either give the players a choice or give them something to talk about. Sort of like, you know, uh, so it's not just the GM monologuing. It's like, you know, this thing happens. How do you respond? This thing happens. What do you do? This thing happens. How, do, how does it make you feel? Like One of my, my favorite bits, which I, I keep referencing, is the first time you enter Jimbrill Dale, uh, which is where the battle took place. If you end the war in the party, the instruction for the GM to go, okay, right, you to- like you to- turn to war character, like you, it's very likely that you're either you or like what are your parents or relatives fought in this battle. Did they? If so, what happened to them? It's, you know, we we'll spend five minutes. You tell their story, and that really sort of like you mm-hmm. embeds the, the characters in the world, and puts on that player and lets the players sort of like build up their backstory well, it's tying to the geography, which I, I really like. It's really nice. I really like
1: that.
0: World well. building. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, putting questions in for the players. Yeah. Saying, what happened here? What's your story? I love that. Actually,
2: one, one of the best sort of, like, you know, random journey events in Lord of the Rings is the bit where they run into the into the, troll, into the troll statues, or the petrified the, you know, trolls. Just so that's like, you know, it's not a combat encounter. It's not even a skill challenge or anything. It's just like, you know, here is the thing. Remember this, but how does it make your characters feel? Like you know, All the hobbits talking about Bilbo's adventures and reflecting on their their that like, they're now like off on their own adventure and it fills in backstory and so forth. So, like, you know, not everything needs to be a tactical decision or a fight. You can, if you, you really sort of, like, embed the players in the world if they're willing to, or, actually not if they're willing, it's a lot, is how you phrase the question. It's like, you know, it's, to go back to the Dwarf example, it's not like, you know, lots of words fought here. Um, did you kind of like, you know, tell me your, your ancestor's tale? Like, you know, sort of really, like, you know, push them onto.
0: I wanted to ask a bit about writing in Tolkien's world. I know that you've written in other uh, existing lore before, yeah. Conan or Cthulhu. But of all of them, Tolkien has quite an established lore. Which fans and players are really into is that a, a challenge that you you relish or does it force your hand a bit when it comes to writing in terms of there already being so much of that out there?
2: Tolkien's a weird one. Um, well, part, part, firstly, I like Tolkien. My uh, my first role playing game was uh, was kind of what they called console role playing was a random Merp game in the library when I was twelve. I first read *Lord of the Rings* when I was eight. My talk obsession runs deep and reverential. Um, it, it, like with other properties, like take something like um, like Cthulhu or the or, 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 or like, you know, uh, *Star Trek*, or something. With *Star Trek*, you've got like your vast number of episodes. You've got like your know, loads and loads of secondary works, but it's all by different people. There's there's no, so like, overall... So there's no, like, not, not like you know, real structure to it. It's like, it's like you know, it's a bunch of episodic adventures and all just sort of together. Tolkien, A, there's just one person behind it all, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> There's a relatively small number of canonical works, because, right? I mean, under the terms of license, all the other things we can touch are The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and the and the appendices of lord of the rings which is a... <laughs> if I ta- it's, it's like read the silmarillion through a keyhole or something um <laughs> like, you know, in terms of the actual text we can like we can officially draw from it's very limited. we can but then there's this, like, you know the history of middle earth and unfinished tales all, all talk of other writings and all the writings by like, about Tolkien are sort of below that iceberg of stuff we can touch so we can like you know, be inspired and draw and draw inspiration from all that stuff as long as we can tie it back to Tolkien's works. Um so it's easier on one level in that the scope of the thing is fairly limited to like these, these two books which I've read like thousands of time so I know them fairly well. Um but there's also this vast amount of criticism and analysis that I also have to be aware of because basically other people also know the books very, very, very well. Um, and the other thing is, Tolkien's the way Tolkien writes and sort of the mood of the books is very, very distinct. It's a whole sort of historic melancholy, this fantastic awareness of language and like names and so forth. It's very, e- it's very easy to do. A sort of a vague Tolkien fantasy pastiche that doesn't ring true and it's very hard to get it right um, so a lot of it is basically just like, writing stuff going no that's not, that's not quite Tolkien enough um, but then the other the, uh, <laughs> on the third hand the other issue is that even Tolkien himself had different registers of how he wrote because like, the Hobbit didn't start up the, the Hobbit started up as a kid's story and um, Lord of the Rings goes all over the place in terms of tone and seriousness. So you've got, like, it starts off with this, like, you know, sort of quasi-Victorian, boys on adventure hobbit stuff. And then you, like, wander through the fantasy version of the psalm. And then you get on to these, like, you know, a qu- quick detour through, like, Tolkien's, like, Your Love of Beowulf. yeah, And then you end up in this, like, sort of quasi-biblical eschatology at the end. And trying to find a, a, a you know, anything well I give it in, but there are lots of things that, that will resonate with one part of the book, and you're you're trying to make sure it fits everything. It's a, it's a very distinct and tricky mood to capture for 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 thing, as
0: opposed to like Cthulhu, where you you like
2: put in despair and tentacles, and it, it'll sort of fit.
0: Yeah. We've spoken a lot about writing and you know, as as game masters specifically for our, our group and we know yeah. kind of the content and style that we as a small group like and we've kind of worked towards that. I yeah. imagine the challenge though for you must be very different writing for a kind of blank canvas of many, many players who might want different styles of, of games.
2: Yeah. I mean yeah, I mean you you want you want the book to be functional. First, it has to like you know provide something useful to the lore master. Like each, it, I, I, it, it's a guide to Maria, but it's not like you know, it's like you know, here are like you know, 10,000 pages of the history of Maria, and there's no actually use it in the game. Everything in there is like you know, here's how it actually can be used at the table. Um, so I'm a big believer in actually pretty actually useful game material. And the other thing you have to be aware of is that most players aren't, I mean, not most but pretty like, you good. Know, a, a, a high-priced won't be talking won't be like full on talking fanatics. They won't. They'll like you. Know, they've seen the movies. They have read the books, and they'll like gone up a Tom Bombadil or something. Um, I would actually, as a pleader side, I would love to get access to Amazon Kindle. because you get the Kindle track where you've been reading? I would love to see how many people give up on Lord of the Rings around that section. <laughs> um. So yeah, you, you, when you're writing for publications as opposed to for a individual group where you don't know what the audience is going to be, all you do basically provide support for multiple play styles, basically provide support for people who want basically a fairly straightforward fantasy adventure where they basically want to, to, to play with the Middle-earth names and tropes and like you know, um, have fun, like, you. Know, I want to like, you. Know, do stuff like Aragorn. I want to like a, a, a fight where I can like you know do cool archery stuff. That's, that's good support for that. You want to provide support for the people who are super into Tolkien and want basically to like you know get the like these sort of, like you know, hidden nuggets of Middle Earth lore. So you've got like throw references to obscure dwarves and appendices and like you know uh, have, like sidebars and do Balrogus of wings and so forth. Um, and also, you want. To provide support for people who aren't, let's say, super talking heads, but want a well-constructed, vast, dwarven city which they can use in their games, and aren't too concerned about like the interest a bit lower, but basically want it to be a solid game product. Um, so there's lots of basically plots and intrigue and so forth in there, and yeah, a lot of it's basically just trying to balance those different concerns. Um, which is, it's. I mean, it's tricky, but it's not super tricky. They're, they're, they're not clashing too much. The main thing is basically doing all that while staying true to that Tolkien feel, which is the really hard part to replicate in in a book or at the table. Well, at the table's more forgiving because, like you know, when you're like playing with friends, you can have a laugh. You can like, you it doesn't need to be super super serious. But when you're writing, you know, people will be digesting it in a much more sort of sober. I not I say considered, but like it, it, it will be analyzed in
1: a, in a different way that it will be at the table. You, you mentioned there, Gareth, about running and writing the game for different play styles. Mm. Well, in terms of like you know making the game product like inclusive for for different players coming to it, how do you approach that? Because obviously Tolkien's writing, you know, we know that there's not many like female characters, for example. Is there any specific measures that you you put in when writing, or is that something that, that... That you would think about.
2: Like, there would certainly be a lot more female, like, you know, female NPCs and so forth in the books that would be in
1: or in the games. There would
2: be in the books. I can't. It is sort of like you know, finding the gaps and the places that we're talking. What where we're talking to these open and sort of slipping stuff into there. Um, like in Darkly Mirkwood, for there's a whole um, campaign section where where like, Eastling's Eastling Prince turns up in Mirkwood. And that was a chance to like you know, have a, a quick glimpse of Eastern culture that wasn't like you know these things are coming we must fight them, and that was an, 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 a nice sort of change of pace. But yeah, it, it, it's really sort of like, you know, looking for. I mean, for things that are that aren't going to clash with canon and the um, openings there for players to choose raw material.
1: Yeah, it's really we found it difficult, um, and we've talked about it in terms of like balancing. What what is canon, as you say, with with mm. making sure that everybody feels welcome and you know yeah. included in the game. So, I mean,
2: yeah, I mean, we're, we're, like, for publication, we're a bit more restricted because we have to be very, very, we're very, very close to the books. Whereas, basically, for your own campaigns and home groups, it's easier to adapt things and tweak things. Mm.
0: Talking of adapting and, and tweaking things, I know that you worked on Adventures Middle Earth. We've mm. now got a new edition.
1: Yeah.
0: Did you take lessons from having written first edition, coming then into Lord of the Rings role playing fifth edition? Were there things that you thought this is a good chance to look at?
2: I actually had nothing to do with the fifth edition uh, rules this time. Um, I, did, I, I did a bit of the development on Middle Earth, um, mm-hmm. but my like, all, all my material is written first, first for the One Ring. And then yeah, Jacob yeah. Rogers, other people converted over. So like, I, I'm aware that's happening. Um, but I would not be the rules expert there I fear.
0: What sort of games do you play when you're not? are you, are you as much of a player as you are a writer? Is it what you do in your spare time? Uh COVID and
2: my gaming group having like you know three like three or four kids in spaces like you know yeah. two years has <laughs> something. So my regular group uh, actually. We're, we're, Regular, like every like, you know, three months, is with old friends playing um, Britain Lands, which is a fancy X Crawl. Um, if I'm playing like a DNDS esque thing, because I do a lot of work for Palgrain Press, who have 13th age, which is their D20 version, that's the one I play most because like I know the rules there fairly well. and am to avoid um, <laughs> could feel myself having two sets of D20 rules in my head. Actually, three sets, because I still know, having started off uh, working like 20 years ago when D&D 3 and 3.5 were the things, yep. I still have D&D 3.5 rules <laughs> engraved in the back of my skull, <laughs> um, so I can like, recite the like, you know, different size modifier tables still, uh, <laughs> and I know the, the, the deep lore of synergy bonuses. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, I, I, I'm I, fairly nervous when it comes to playing stuff when I get a chance and hopefully as the kids get slightly older and time pressures get slightly better, I'll be back to regular gaming.
0: Or well, maybe one day you uh, get the kids into it and then you've got a ready-made party at home. It's, well,
2: see, the issue there is that I started them role playing at a young age, but they're now convinced that because when you when your kids you're into to get um, interested you like you adapting to their interest, so their knowledge of role playing yeah. games are whatever character the player comes up open on the spot will be worked into a game. Because for stuff like you, okay, you're playing Paw Patrol, and now it's like you know, okay, I want to play like you, um, the Doom Slayer from Doom and <laughs> Agent Forty Seven from Hitman, and they're in space. Now make a game. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, indeed, it's fine. But like you, you D and D. You can play a fighter, or a wizard, or a dwarf. No, I want to play the Doom Slayer from Doom.
0: <laughs> Bit of a learning curve to get from A to B, I first.
2: Yeah, indeed, it's just what they're used to.
0: In terms of the development process, then, what's next? What What's the next step of the process?
2: Uh, in the abstract, or this thing, or next book? Either both. Oh. Well, the process the, in the, uh, the, 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 the abstract for um, for most wandering books so far has been um, either freely say we want a book on topic X, and I crumble the outline, which they approve, and then I write up that outline, and then it goes off to uh, Francesco and Co. for rules development and uh, editing and content development. Um, tend to basically happen pretty much, like each exercise is is the next. So basically there isn't too much collaboration back and forth from actually deep in a book. Like I I wrote Maria largely on my own, although it was uploaded to Dropbox, they could poke in wherever they wanted. And um, now that it's been passed to them, I won't hear much back until a lovingly illustrated PDF drops into my inbox and I go, what do you think? And I go, awesome. Um, So, it's more sort of like you know iterative development or the opposite iterative opposite. not non-iterative development. Basically, it's like you know waterfall. That's the one but like you know I, I finish my stage, it passes on, it passes beyond my ken and out of sight and mind. Um, and that's how it's been how it was for Runes of Swellum and Tales of the Lands and Orea, which are three things we've done so far. Um there's another one now which I'm just starting on, which is just past the outlining stage. Um which I I, I, I cannot speak uh, much more than I already have. But we can, it's, dream. Uh, we can, we can dream. dream what it might be. It, it, it's more adventure-y and it's a bit more down south. <laughs>
0: I can't tell you how exciting he even just a bit more down south is. The thing Callum wanted all along was Moria. Like I know he's been wanting to run that for yeah. ages. The thing I'm most interested in, and my character in our game is a man of Gondor or from Dol Amroth specifically. I just want anything to do with Gondor and the south, and I don't really care what it is. Anything and everything, I would gobble that up.
2: Yeah. But so before before the, the Cubicle Seven license went, I wrote an entire Gondor campaign, which um. Uh... I know
0: <laughs> our faces. If this was if this was on YouTube, you'd understand how excited yeah. Calvin and I are right now. <laughs>
1: uh, but we 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 get there eventually, Sam. Well,
0: that's something to look forward to. We
1: just want every part of Middle Earth. I think that's what we. Want.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if you could find time to just do all of it, that would that would be wonderful. Yeah, but, the, the, but the, then you
2: get you get back Take back to the murky things we've got, like you know the Snowman of Lost off which, like you know page source book. <laughs>
1: I, I really like the Merp uh, things. I've never played Merp, but I often have them as little um, things that I refer to or get ideas from. Uh, they're really comprehensive. They're,
2: they're very comprehensive. They're, in case of, they're too comprehensive. They've got the
1: um, Dol Guldur section there,
2: or the source book there, and it has Sauron's bathroom as uh, location. <laughs> wow. Because you got got like the necromancer's chambers blah, 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 and there's like, a bathroom marked in like the like the you seventeenth know, level of Dolgeladr and they're going that's too much detail. That's too much detail. <laughs> that's, 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 that's too much. Uh, also opens up huge like you know theological <laughs> concerns about like you know Heroa <laughs> and Fea and like you know just how embodied is this uh, bear at this point in time.
0: It is possible <laughs> to delve too deep, I suppose. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, uh, my final question, Callum might have a, a final question as well. Mm-hmm. Mine is, is there a bit that you're... Now, this doesn't need to be spoilers, but is there a bit of the book that you're most excited for players to get to or something that's going to be particularly surprising? I don't need you to reveal what it is, but is there something in there you think, when players read this, this is the thing that I'm hoping that they find and are excited about? Um, there's... I'm sure if there's
2: one sort of like, you know, oh, this bit is awesome that I really like. There are a couple of locations which I'm... There's one which I, I, I think is very, very clever in terms of a, a plot structure. Um, <laughs> how, how, do I, how do I do this without... Okay, one of the issues was giving the players a a reason to go exploring um if or a, a sort of a a, a solid starting point for exploring.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's a location in there which no which is basically how how other locations work is there are famous locations which are places like you know um like the uh, Duran's bridge or um second hall or like you know um all the the really well known places like Sword Song or the gates and the first, there are obscure locations like the chamber of Mazarbel, which like you know lower masses remember, but random dwarves would go oh yeah I, I I never heard of that place, and there are hidden locations which are the ones that aren't on the map, which are either places that have that were kept secret by the dwarves or have been built by the orcs or like you are know, were never discovered by the dwarves but since been discovered or just w- weren't recorded, and there's one of those which is. Hidden, so it's on the map, it appears black map. Like you know, work out how to find it or stumble across it by chance, and that contains not a map of Maria, but basically it opens up a lot of other places to go once you find there. It's basically it's like you, know, you get to this place, and it, 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 it's like a, like a hub of a computer game where basically you, know, you find this location, and other doors point you off in lots of places, lots of things to explore.
0: Brilliant, brilliant.
2: Um, that's yeah um and it's also a in retrospect it's sort of a place that had to exist like, you know, um, like, it's possible players will even like you know, go looking will think it and go looking for it with the any prompting for the lore master if they're clever and read, read, read the books um the other thing I, I really like is that one of the other entrances to Maria um and this i can spoil a bit because it's not a major part of the campaign um, Although, if you're playing in the campaign, like, such you at this point, there's this <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: there's a village up in the mountains, this human village, and like, the uh, founder of it, but he was like this like, you know, sort of shepherd shepherd boy up in the mountains of the sheep, falls into a hole, hole goes down deeper than expected, goes exploring, finds treasure down there, and he's convinced that basically he fell into this like you know other world this, like you know realm of the gods and just crawl back out with treasure and now become the chief of this village and their initiation ceremony is when like you're the like, you're young warriors builder come age they go into that same barrow crawl down go into this dark place come back out with treasure and so forth and what basically they found is basically a back door into Moria but they have no idea what, what it is they just think it's like you have know, this enchanted realm in the earth Um, and They've come up with this whole theology and belief structure about to like to you know, Stygian quests and the characters may should end up at the village either looking for looking looking for just like you know, mythical place or even this random dwarf shows up up this village and goes, hang on. Why 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 are you wearing the like, the crown of of, like, you know, of King Durin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fantastic! I I cannot wait to get my hands on the book.
2: I just really look because Maria has been like abandoned for thousands of years, it's lovely to, like you know, take a look at it from the point of view of short-lived humans who will have like you know, mythology, forgot mythologists forgot the mythology, and mythology again. So much time has passed,
0: Gareth. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank yeah, you. It's
2: very a- much. always so much fun to babble about Alcan. Mm.
1: Yeah we're really grateful and looking forward to this but also whatever comes next as well yeah many many things in the pipeline no emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions and questions to thefellowshipphase at gmail.com. The long year turns to its close. Much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands, but is not broken. And we will return.
0: On the next episode of The Fellowship Phase.